The winner of the 2023 Nobel Prize for Literature has been announced. You may not have uh, watched the live announcement. You may have seen the news, but if you have the news, put it at the back of your head. Try to not have any spoilers because I'm going to bring you the live announcement of the 2023 Nobel Prize for Literature and offer a few comments on the winner whose name I will not say quite yet on the Burning Archive podcast. I'm Jeff Rich. This is the Burning Archive podcast. I'm bringing you something special this week. It is the actual, my actual live stream of the Nobel Prize for Literature announcement uh, for 2023 from the Swedish Academy from Stockholm. I live streamed it on my YouTube channel. You can watch the live stream there. But I'm also bringing you the edited highlights of the stream, including the key announcements setting out the winner's works. And at the end of the stream, I will pop in with a few comments based on my uh, research on the winner since the announcement. Okay, sit back, relax, get yourself into the mood for the International Literature's World's Night of Nights, the announcement of the Nobel Prize for Literature, as brought to you by the Burning Archive podcast. Hi everyone, it's Jeff Rich here from the Burning Archive. Welcome to my uh, live stream of the Nobel Prize for Literature announcement. It's happening in about half an hour and I really am glad you're able to uh, join me uh, here and I think we're going to have a really great little half hour who is going to win the Nobel Prize? That is the question for tonight. What's it going to be? Will it be a complete surprise tonight? Will it be a uh, highbrow choice or a popular choice like Stephen King or Bob Dylan? Uh, will it be a man or woman? Or will it be the first transgender winner of the Nobel Prize? Uh, English or another language, will it be a Western writer or will this writer be from the Global South, the, uh, the, the not from the Western Alliance, will it be part of the BRICS cultural block of the world? Uh, and will the war in Ukraine spill over to the politics of the Nobel Prize? All of these are the big questions for tonight. Um, and you can see there, the uh, and this comes from lithub.com. I think uh, Emily Temple has put together current odds from a couple of weeks ago. I think it might have been. So this might have been changing. But you can see some of the authors there who are in the running to win tonight. There's Can Zhu from China, John Foss from Norway, Gerald Murnane, who is a great Australian writer. Um, I've put a bunch of the Nobel Prize winning books that authors that I have uh, there in the in behind me, including of course the biography on 
Patrick White. Uh, but I um, I don't think I got out anything from Gerald Manane, which was a bit of a faux pas on my part, especially if he ends up winning. Uh, Ludmila Uskaya and Anne Carson from uh, Russia and uh, Canada, respectively. Machaya, um, Katorescu uh, from Romania and quite a few more and if you can scroll down all the way down to the list Stephen King is there at odds of, of nearly 50 to 1 as is Paul Simon could the Nobel Prize go to another singer-songwriter the way that did with Bob Dylan um um, there's probably a few sentimental favourites in this list too. Salman Rushdie at uh, 14 to 1 odds. Uh, he's had a pretty rough ride the last couple of decades. Haruku um, Murakami, who has also been in the running or rumoured to be in the running for many years. The great experimental writer Thomas Pynchon. In fact, quite a few of these writers are quite experimental writers, but there's also a mix of the more kind of popular types as well. Where will the Nobel Committee go? No, we'll go tonight. No one really knows. It's really hard to predict. There's always a bit of a fun game of predicting, but, you know, we shall see. But let's have a bit of a closer look at the uh, top five uh, of the winners and uh, top five candidates and then we have and we'll have a quick look at them so we have Kanzu is the most uh, popular favorite some people think she's a one in eight chance of winning this prize and Kanzu is a Chinese um, uh, whose real name Kanzu is a um, pseudonym or a pen name i think it means something like dirty snow her real name is dung xiao wow um sorry if i've got that uh, pronunciation wrong uh but uh and she's quite an experimental writer from uh, china sort of avant-garde fiction writer uh, which breaks the mould of more realistic patterns of fiction writing in China. Uh, in her writing, apparently, I have not read her, and I actually was looking in the local library for Kanzu, but had no luck at all finding it, uh, which was a bit of a shame. Uh, the unconscious often dominates conscious thought, uh, among her books are Dialogues in Heavy Heaven and New Century Love Story, and she's been dubbed by some of the Chinese Franz Kafka, one of my favourite writers, I must say. So I have a bit of a soft spot, and I do, in a way, hope Kanzu uh, becomes the uh, bookie's favourite for the prize. Uh, then... Number two on the list is a Norwegian author, John Foss. Uh, John Foss, I'll just move that a little bit down there maybe. And John Foss is a Norwegian writer. He has written, he's a 
big writer in Norway. He's written novels, short stories, poetry, children's books, essays and plays. He's done the works. He's even advised on the translation of the Bible in Norway. He uh, had a long struggle with alcohol uh, misuse and was indeed hospitalised. He hospitalised himself in 2013 to deal with it. I don't know how he's gone since. Uh, And among his books are scenes from Childhood 2018 and Melancholy 1 and 2 2023, at least translated into English in those years. I think he's won a big award or been nominated, shortlisted for a big award like the Man Booker International, which also might be a sign that he might be in the running. Okay, the third uh, writer we have here is Gerald Murnane, an Australian writer, uh, no less. And um, I'll just move myself out of the way there. And he is... Uh, a Melbourne writer, just like me. Um, And he was quite famous for actually not sort of moving outside of Melbourne very much. Um, He also is quite an experimental uh, fiction writer. He often brings attention to the the nature of the storytelling, the nature of the narration he tells and often uh, turns very, um, I guess, ordinary experiences into um, almost philosophical, metaphysical kind of uh, meditations using this kind of prose. Uh, And one of the things he also uh, was um, makes him a bit different is he was a great follower of horse racing and in fact i think includes quite a bit of that in his books uh, i think my favorite book of his is a book called the plains but there have been a number that i've okay so then we also have Anne carson who is a Canadian poet, essayist, translator, classicist, and professor. And uh, she has a distinguished career as um, all of those things, but particularly also translating many of the great classical Greek poets. Uh, she's a bit of an academician. There have been a few winners of the Nobel like her, but I think it would be a bit of a surprise to see her uh, go forward. And then the fifth on the list is Ludmila Ulitskaya, who is a Russian or Belarusian writer. I feel she might not live in Russia now. Uh, but I'm not sure. She was born in 1943, grew up in Moscow, and her early career was in the sort of Soviet, in the Soviet Jewish drama theatre. Her first novel, Sonitska, was published in 1992, and she's been quite a popular author, especially through the 1990s in Russia. Um, part of the, um, I guess, liberal sort of scene in 1990s Russia. Uh, and um, cards. Let's see. There's a possibility that Salman Rushdie might win. 
Uh, I have a vague feeling that I haven't seen this on any list, but I think uh, the Russian writer, highly acclaimed Russian writer, Mikhail Shishkin, might be a possibility. He's a bit like Ludmilla Ulitskaya, a writer who got going in the um, early 1990s and who um, is highly critical of the current regime in Russia. So I think that might stand him in some standing, at least with the more political edge of the Nobel Committee, although I do hope they really don't go there, if nothing else, because the Nobel prize has been the literature prize has been a little bit dominated i think by europeans and others uh in the last uh, 10 years or so i think um i think it would be good to see someone from asia non-english non-european winner uh, I mean, Annie Ono won last time, and she's a great winner, a very commendable winner. But then there was Louise Gluck and Olga Tokarczuk and uh, what's that? Svetlana Alexeyevich and um, uh, uh, quite a few others, and even like um, Gurnar, who won before Annie Ono in 2021. Uh, from kind of Tanzania, Africa, but also very much the experience of a British migrant writing in English. Uh, so I kind of personally hope we have someone from out of the Anglo-American, West European sort of world, and also that the Nobel doesn't go down the sort of... Um, uh, you know, very heavily politicised kind of route or potentially politicised route. So Mikhail Shiskin, though, is, I think, a wild card. Uh, others mentioned have been uh, the Hungarian novelist Peter Nadas and Albania's Ismail Kadari. Uh, and on Twitter earlier today, there was... I actually heard a few people suggest another Russian writer whose name I can't remember. I'm just going to quickly check uh, this. And I also published a poll on Twitter uh, earlier tonight. And I'll just tell you what the results of that have been. Andre McKean was the uh, Russian writer. So my Twitter poll suggests 50% people are going for Can Zhu and 50% are going for Haruki Murakami, the Japanese author, who I think was in the kind of 10, 14 to 1 sort of range uh, and um, we shall see I think I have a kind of feeling that the prize may well go to uh, an East Asian writer I'm sure they don't sort of well, it's been a while really since they have and I'm sure they don't sort of really sort of allocate you know this is this year for Africa and this year for Europe but 
there has been a little bit of a criticism of the bias of the Nobel towards Europe and towards English language writing. So uh, hopefully that will be remedied this year. And Kanzu apparently has had some very successful books. There you go. Make sure you mute your phone. So it sounds like we're just a couple of minutes away. It sounds like they're running on time. They're going to be punctual. And once the clock strikes one, which is 10 p.m. here in Melbourne, Australia time. So we just have a couple more minutes. Let me give you a couple more minutes of commentary then. So I think we... Um, uh, may well have that sort of um, Asian writer, uh, African maybe. Uh, I think the uh, I think it's Nigerian author uh, Nguyi Wa Thiongo has been a while a common common recommendation for a few years. There's also a couple of Latin American writers who are in the list, like Cesar Era and um, Elena Poniatowska, Homero Alridis. Uh, a, a bit of a crowd favourite might be Paul Simon of Sounds of Silence and Simon and Garfunkel, who is 49 to 1 on the odds. That's a possibility. You never know. Popular choice, maybe. Um, but I think the other sort of wild cards I've heard mentioned have been uh, people, some people have been looking at the Nobel. Somehow you, they can analyse what's in the Nobel Prize Committee's um, library. And some of those people are predicting uh, that the prize will either go to a Norwegian or a Chinese writer this year because those have been particularly prominent, as well as John Foss and Kan Zhu, two others that have been mentioned, uh, Dag Solstead and C.C. Um, and yeah, there you go. I don't know. I don't think Gerald Manane would win but it would be a kind of strange symmetry if he did win 50 years after Patrick White won the Nobel Prize and maybe if you're watching this stream I've uh, uh, later oh hang on we've got a bit of chat here we've got Bart saying it doesn't matter where the winner is from the best should get the prize that's absolutely true but I guess there are many factors in there Russia has got a lot of good writers. That's absolutely true. And, um, and quite a wheel, number of Nobels have won from Russia. And Murakami should get it for Kafka on the shore and the wind-up bird chronicle, not for his more recent work. I've tried reading, I think it's IQ84, uh, and enjoyed it for a while, but um, I must try Murakami uh, again. So thanks for those recommendations, Bart V. Um, and yeah, I hope the Nobel Committee is not politically correct anymore. Um, they've done uh, quite a few things in the last few years to try to improve their process a little bit. 
But, you know, it's always, there have been big controversies over the years, like the Boris Pasternak and, I guess, Solzhenitsyn in a way, and uh, Bob Dylan and Dario Fo. I did a podcast, uh, which is also available on the YouTube channel. Um, ah, I see. Um, Bart V is saying... IQ84 was not good. It's pronounced Qteen84. Okay, okay. Qteen84. Um, thanks for that advice. I I will try Kafka on the shore and the wind-up bird chronicle, and I might even report back on the channel. So I'm really, really delighted that you've given me some advice here. And here come the announcements. Jag heter Mats Malm och är akademins ständiga sekreterare. Akademin har just sammanträtts och kan presentera sitt beslut om vem som tilldelas årets Nobelpris i litteratur. Very welcome to the Swedish Academy. Just a quick comment, of course, the uh, YouTube translation of some of these comments are hilarious. <laughs> Mistranslation. Nobelpriset i litteratur år 2023 tilldelas den norska författaren Jon Fosse för hans nyskapande dramatik och prosa som ger röst åt det otsägbara. The Nobel Prize in Literature for 2023 is awarded to the Norwegian author Jon Fosse for his innovative plays and prose which give voice to the unsayable. I've just spoken to Jon Fosse on the phone. Um, not every laureate believes me when I make the call, but he was prepared to have confidence until one o'clock. He was driving on the countryside at Sognefjord, north of Bergen in Norway, and um, we had the opportunity to start speaking about practical matters and the Nobel week in December. I now give the floor to Anders Olsson, chair of the Nobel committee. He will present the laureate, and after that, he and member of the Nobel committee, Anne Sverd, will answer questions in individual interviews. Thank you. This year's Nobel laureate in literature, the Norwegian writer Jon Fosse, was born in 1959 in Haugesund on the Norwegian west coast. His huge oeuvre, spanning a variety of genres, comprises around 40 plays and a wealth of novels, poetry, collections, essays, children's books and translations. While he is just one of the most of recognized own, uh, here. and widely performed playwrights of our time, now he has also been, been acclaimed by, um, for his novels, TV. narratives and poetry. Resembling his great precursor in New Norsk literature, Tarjei Vesos, Fosser blends a rootedness in the language and nature of his Norwegian background with artistic techniques in the wake of modernism. Samuel Beckett, Thomas Bernhardt, and Georg Trakel are some of his Wallverwandtschaften. 
Foster's international breakthrough well, as a playwright like right. was so, Claude Regis' like 1998 Paris production of his first and much performed play, Nokon Kiem Tilokome, or in English, Someone is Going to Come. Even in this early piece, Foss's singularity is fully evident. In his radical reduction of language and dramatic action, he exposes human anxiety and ambivalence at its core. Other major achievements in his dramatic work are Namnet, Draum um Hausten, and Dötzvariationer. In English, the name, Dream of Autumn, and Death Variations. It is through his ability to evoke man's loss of orientation and how this paradoxically can provide access to a deeper experience close to divinity that Fosse has come to be regarded as an innovator not only in contemporary theatre. Fosse's magnum opus in prose is his septology in three books completed in 2021, a 1,250-page monologue in which an elderly artist speaks to himself as another person. In English, the titles are The Other Name, I is Another, and A New Name. The work progresses seemingly endlessly and without sentence breaks, but is formally held together by recurring themes and ritual gestures of prayer in a time span of seven days. The first section of the novel addresses the painting that Asle, the narrator, has been unable to complete, but which is nevertheless dearest to him. This depicts two strokes, one purple and the other brown, in the form of a diagonal cross. It is as if this opening phrase draws together the different time layers of the work into a single infinite present. The painted cross also indicates the dominant doppelganger motif of the novel, Asler speaking with Asler at the moment of death. The Septology is a major work, being at the same time Asler's attempt at reconciliation with his own fate, an elegy to his dead wife, and a Künstlerroman dealing with his own career as a painter. Fosse's sensitive language, which probes the limits of words, reveals the closeness of his relationship with poetry. This is obvious even in his first poetry collection Engel med vatten i augene, from 1986, and in the recent edition of his collected lyrical works, Dikt i Samling. Interestingly, Fosse has in recent years added to his long list of translations into Nynorsk two modern lyrical classics, Geotrakels, Sebastian i Traum, uh, 2019 and Rainer Maria Rilke's 
Duino Elegiar. Thank you very much for coming here. And now I will start the individual interviews with my colleague, Anne Sard. Thank you. Something I prepared earlier. So there we go, John Foss. He uh, was born in 1959 on the west coast of Norway and is the recipient of countless prestigious prizes. I'm just reading here from Fitzcarraldo editions that have published published um, John Foss in English. Uh, and they look very fine books there, quite long books, but... Uh, and he's written prose, poetry, essays, short stories, children, books, and over 40 plays. So he's a dramatist. And but V on the stream recommends, he's, uh says he's a good choice. So uh, while also suggesting that, um, is it Carl Nalsgaard? Carl over Nalsgaard should be the next Norwegian writer but we'll just pop on back to John Foss he's practiced pretty much every form of writing there is and some of the authors that were mentioned as influences there uh, like Thomas Bernhard who I've read quite a lot of uh, Samuel Peckett uh, and uh, I think it was Treichel the uh, German poet if I heard him correctly the sort of um, uh, symbolist, modernist poet of the uh, early 20th century. So um, I think those are all strong recommendations for John Foss. Now, unfortunately, I don't know anything else about John Foss. Yet, although I knew nothing about John Fossey, not even how to pronounce his name correctly, on the night of the Nobel Prize announcement, I have uh, done a little bit of work since then to remedy that problem and I can give you a few insights based on what I've read and done since in the, in the approximately 12 hours or since the announcement. I hopped onto my Kindle late last night and ordered indeed and bought a copy of Jon Fossey's book Septology, a seven-volume novel which is now published in a single-volume English language edition at quite a reasonable price, to be honest, on on the old Amazon uh, or other ebook site, and and sampled a bit of Jon Fossey's writing and what. The, the person who explained the reasoning behind the Nobel Committee's decision to award the prize to Eon Fossey kind of said was that uh, Fossey's writing is reminiscent of Thomas Bernhard, who I think I might have commented is a, a writer I've read much of, a sort of German-Austrian writer who writes, I guess, kind of obsessive stream-of-consciousness novels, often about lonely outsiders. And the Jan Fossey's works are, it seems to me, similar. At least his novelistic works are similar. One of the other things I've learned about him 
in the 24 hours since the prize is that he is famous as much for uh, being a playwright as anything and indeed I think he's produced more or written more than 20 plays and is seen as one of the most produced contemporary playwrights. I wonder indeed with whether some of the cultural tone of what we know as Nordic Noir does not indeed come in part from Jan Fosse's dramatic works, but that is speculation on my part. In relationship to his playwright career, he was known in Norway as the new Ibsen, Henrik Ibsen, the great 19th, early 20th century uh, playwright. Obviously, they haven't had a lot of time to explore his work, but let me read from a profile from the New Yorker magazine from, uh, I think, last year when Jan Fosse was nominated for, uh, I think, the International Booker and a number of other major prizes. To that, uh, Just uh, two paragraphs here that provide a pretty clear in a summary of his life and his work and its characteristics. So I'll just read from this uh, New Yorker article. The word that comes to mind to describe all this, the light, the music, the sacred waters, the sacred garments, is pilgrimage. One rarely sees living writers treated with such reverence. I am just a strange guy from the western part of Norway, from the rural part of Norway, Fossi told me. He grew up a mixture of a communist and an anarchist, a hippie who loved playing the fiddle and reading in the countryside. He enrolled at the University of Bergen where he studied comparative literature and started writing in Nynorsk, the written standard specific to the rural regions of the of the West. That's the particular, I guess, version of Norwegian that he uses in his language. His first novel, Red Black, was published in 1983, followed throughout the next three decades by Melancholy 1 and Melancholy 2, Morning and Evening, uh, Alice at the Fire and Trilogy. After a wildly successful and hectic period during which he worked almost exclusively as a playwright, Fosse converted to Catholicism in 2012 quit drinking and remarried. He then started writing Septology, a seven-volume novel written in a single sentence. And although it says single sentence, I mean, there's like no full stop, and I'll come to this a bit later, but it's it's in that kind of Faulknerian kind of stream of consciousness style. There is actually a kind of, you can, there's sort of implied full stops throughout it. It's not as hard to read as that might imply. A seven-volume novel written in a single sentence and exemplifying what he has described as his return to slow prose, as in slow food, slow culture, slow living, slow prose. And indeed, it is this book, Septology, that I bought and downloaded and started reading last night. The narrator of Septology, to continue with the New Yorker's book, is a painter named Asli or Azul, a convert to a convert to Catholicism, grieving the death of his wife Alice. Uh, clearly, a bit of an alter ego character, an image of the author. 
The night before Christmas Eve, Asla finds his friend, also a painter named Asla, unconscious in an alley in Bergen, dying of alcohol poisoning. Their memories double, repeat and gradually blur into a single voice, a diffuse consciousness capable of existing in many times and places at once. So I guess you could probably read this book, Septology, as the story of a reco- alcoholic in recovery. Um, that really was, I guess, a reasonable description of a fosse. Uh, he admitted himself into a hospital to deal with his alcohol abuse. He didn't just quit drinking in 2013. Clearly, he, he has this picture of, I guess, two sides of his character meeting in this novel, one dying of alcohol poisoning. The New Yorker continues to read Fosse's plays and novels is to enter into communion with a writer whose presence one feels all the more all the more intensely owing to his air of reserve his withdrawal. His plays, whose characters usually have generic names, the man, the woman, the mother, the child, seize upon the intensity of our primordial relations and are by turns bleak and comic. Septology, the uh, author of this article says, is the only novel I have read that has made me believe in the reality of the divine, as the 14th century theologian Master Eichhardt, whom Foss has read intently, describes it. It is in darkness that one finds the light, so when we are in sorrow, then this light is nearest of all to us. None of the comparisons to other writers seem right. Bernhardt, too aggressive. Beckett, too controlling. Ibsen, he's the most destructive writer I know, Fosse claims. I feel that there's a kind of, I don't know if it's a good English word, but a kind of reconciliation in my writing. Or to use the Catholic or Christian word, peace. It does seem that in many ways septology is the recovery of a voice of reconciliation and peace in uh, Fosse's own life, in his own character and in his own art. And uh, let me just read a very brief section from the beginning of septology. I will give you just enough to give you a bit of a taste for the prose style. And I see myself standing and looking at the picture with the two lines that cross in the middle, one purple line, one brown line. It's a painting wider than it is high, and I see that I've painted the lines slowly. The paint is thick, two long white lines, and they've dripped where the brown line and purple line cross the colours, blend beautifully, and drip, and I'm thinking that This isn't a picture, but suddenly the picture is the way it's supposed to be. It's done. There's nothing more to do on it. I think it's time to put it away. I don't want to stand here at the easel anymore. I don't want to look at it anymore, I think. And I think today's Monday, and I think I have to put this picture away with the other ones I'm working on but I'm not done with the canvases on stretchers leaning against the wall beneath the bedroom door and the hall door, under the hook with the brown leather shoulder bag on it, the bag where I keep my sketch pad and pencil, and then I look at the two stacks of finished paintings 
propped up against the wall next to the kitchen door and it continues on in that manner so i think for me certainly as soon as i read that the re the resonance with the uh, author thomas bernhard was clear the use of like the phrase i think is almost like a, a chorus line like a rhythmic sort of pattern given the lack of periods in the sentence and although there uh, there is no full stop in the entire thousand page novel the comma almost at times functions at a full stop and i guess everyone has become quite used to reading a stream of consciousness uh, writing since i don't know since it was first really done in the early 20th century uh, arguably even before then by some other artists so uh, that is Jon Fossey um, there has been a little bit of I guess disappointment expressed that uh, Can Zhu was not the winner that another European was a winner I think I saw some comment on Twitter from someone who I don't know that you know why should I care about the existential angst of yet another white uh, middle-aged man but um what european middle-aged man to be more precise northern european middle-aged man but uh i think some of that story about fossey about his well his recovery from alcoholism his sense of his writing is coming to a form of peace and of reconciliation and the the care i guess with which he has done that is perhaps something to be admired and respected or to at least be curious about so i think i'm going to continue on with septology what about you dear listener will you follow up Jon Fossey and I really hope that you've enjoyed my series on the Nobel Prize now that began with the recut of the history of the Nobel Prize looked at Annie Ernaux last year's winner from France went back a hundred years to look at the extraordinary great modernist poet Irish modernist poet W.B. Yeats and 50 years to look at Patrick White which and my look back at Patrick White prompted some new thoughts on my part about the cultural history of Australia which have been featured in an article in Pearls and Irritations this week you can go to johnmenadieu.com and see that and I also have that article highlighted at my website theburningarchive.com if you follow my substack I go into I comment some more about my article on Patrick White uh, decolonizing in Australia and what it all means for our contemporary culture today you may well find that interesting and so why don't you go to jeffrich.substack.com that's jeff with a j j-e-f-f-r-i-c-h and you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter there you can also upgrade your subscription to get additional content from me every week and uh, you can also subscribe through podcast and patreon to get bonus podcast audio content from me uh, i'm not going to do a bonus episode on the podcast this week because well the nobel prize was only announced at about 10 30 last night and i simply haven't time had time to prepare a bonus content episode on yon fossey yet but uh you can get all those things from me and i hope you've enjoyed this week's show and until next week 
Take care and do remember what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee.